You are listening to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 15. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, Master Certified Life Coach, Teacher, and Recovering Supermom, Tori Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about how to motivate your child in one simple step. We'll go over the Supermom kryptonite of the day, that secret energy drain that you might not know is making you tired, followed by a Supermom power boost to give you a boost of energy to carry you through your week. Now, today's question comes from Jen, and even if this question isn't relevant to you, I think you're still going to enjoy the answer because the answer is just a great way to motivate any child or yourself. So keep listening, even if the question isn't reflective of your situation. Jen writes, my son is quite smart and capable, but not motivated in school. He does his homework, but he doesn't turn it in. He could get top marks in his class, but he seems content with mediocrity. It bothers me that his grades don't reflect what he's capable of. How can I motivate my son to care more about his school performance? Well, Jen, it's a great question. I know it's hard to watch when you know your kid is full of potential and they're not living up to it. I'm going to start with my life coaching answer. And the way I differentiate, the parent education answer is information, and the life coaching answer is what blocks us from implementing that newfound knowledge. So I have so much more to say on the parent education side. I'm going to start with the life coaching side. And really, there's one simple thing that parents can do to motivate their kids, but there's also one thing that will block a kid's motivation, and I think this could become a problem for Jen here. I want you and everybody listening to be aware of our attachment to our ego. So when kids are little, it's not unusual for their success to feel like our success. Someone tells us how cute or polite our preschooler is and we say thank you, right? We take kind of credit for that. When our kids act out in public, they bite another kid on the playground or do something, you know, embarrassing, we feel embarrassed, right? There's a blurred line between where our kids end and where we begin. This is pretty common. But as kids grow into their own person, it's helpful to stop taking credit for their amazingness and to stop blaming ourselves for their missteps. However, you know, tempting it might be to kind of blend and blur these lines. It's really helpful to separate. Because when our ego gets attached to our child's academic performance or their athletic performance, their personal drive or their lack of drive, well, we just create a messy situation because our ego is going to fight like crazy to stay intact. And often kids will sense our attachment to their success and they deliberately might sabotage themselves just to show us that like they're in control of their lives <laughs> and to take the pressure off. So I've coached some teenagers in the past uh, on this particular issue and how they kind of don't really want to reach their potential because they don't want 
parents to increase the pressure or the expectations to rise on them, or they don't want their, you know, mom or dad to feel like, ha ha, I got what I wanted. I knew you were more capable. So this really shows up a lot as adolescents. And so I dive more into this in my leading your teen class that I offer. So it's a tricky thing to separate out. But when we can, when we can see them as a separate individual and allow them to take credit for their successes and their failures, it'll keep us sane. (laughs) We have the privilege of guiding our children through their lives, but not steering their lives. Okay, now I want to go into the parent education answer because this is just one of my favorite topics. And I want to tell you how I stumbled across this probably about 10 years ago. One day, I'm on a road trip with my family, and my kids are sitting in the back seat, and they're calling, Mom, hey, you want to play a game with us? And I respond, no, thank you. I'm enjoying reading my book. Well, what book are you reading, they ask. Oh, it's this fascinating book. I absolutely love it. It's all about play and how it shapes the brain, opens the imagination, and invigorates the soul. My astute kiddo responds, So you would rather read a book about play than play a game with your children? And I sit in silence for a minute because I think, yeah, (laughs) I would. And kind of that, like, what's wrong with me? I was aware of how strange that answer sounded. I would rather read about play than play? Why? What was motivating me to choose reading my book over playing a game? Luckily, Dr. Stuart Brown had the answer right in my hands. What motivates anyone to do anything is emotions. Now, we are driven to seek pleasure and avoid pain. This is just biological. It sounds like Jen's son doesn't get enjoyment out of turning in his homework or seeing gold stars posted on the sticker chart. Jen, on the other hand, does enjoy that. She sounds like she is motivated by accolades, competition, and identifying herself as a high achiever. So emotions are crucial to motivation. And the one simple step I've discovered to motivate kids is to figure out what is their play personality. Now, Dr. Stuart Brown identified eight distinct play personalities. I'm going to go through them really quickly, but I highly recommend his book called Play. If you could figure out your child's top three play personalities, you'll have key insight into how to make things more fun and therefore more motivating for your child. Number one is the joker. Play revolves around nonsense, practical jokes, pranks, and silliness. Now, YouTube is a godsend if your kid is a joker, but I realized this was one of my daughter's strongest play personalities around St. Patrick's Day when our friends would do do pranks and like turn the toilet water green and all these like leprechaun pranks. She loved it. And I don't, that's not one of my play personalities. My brain does not think about that. But I know that I could get her to do anything I want if I turn it into a joke Uh, make it fun, make it silly. That's pretty much turned into my main discipline tactic with her because it works. Number two is the kinesthete. If I'm not moving, it's not play. 
These are the kids who really school is a struggle because they're not so good at sitting still, but they love PE. They love to be able to, you know, go outside. When they get home from school, they are out the door. They are, you know, in the backyard. They're just doing something that involves movement. And that's what makes it feel like play to them. Number three is the explorer. These are the people that like to go new places, discover new things, learn and understand things. So this is probably my number one is I love learning not just mile wide and an inch deep, but with life coaching, we go an inch wide and a mile deep to really understand, you know, what makes people tick? Why do they do what they do? And so this is my number one is the explorer. Number four is the competitor. Now, the competitor enjoys competing and keeping score. They play to win. And this is not mine. So I have, whenever people try to compete with me, it makes it less fun for me. But if you've got a kid who's a competitor, then you can use this to motivate them. I mean, this applies in every area, right? So I had my life coaching teacher kind of said, told her son, if you dribble the soccer ball a hundred times, I'll buy you a cell phone. And he was on it. I mean, he was focused. He was doing it every day after school, worked on it for weeks. Like, I just don't think to parent that way. It doesn't, it's not how my brain goes, but it really works for some kids. So just think about what is your top three and what is your kids' top three play personalities? So the next one is the collector enjoys collecting objects or experiences. Now, this can be a solitary activity or a social one. These are the kids who have those little pom-pom characters on their backpacks or, you know, the trading cards. And I remember a little girl had a unique trash collection. She would go to school and she would collect unique pieces of garbage and she had them in a special box in her room. This is something that some kids really enjoy that. So if you can bring collecting into, you know, whatever you're trying to motivate them for, it can be really helpful. Number six is the artist or creator. So joy is found in making things. And this can be the traditional kinds of art like drawing, or it can be in creating something new. A new For me, I, I enjoy creating new curriculums, new classes but it can be making things. It could be making slime. (laughs) So it doesn't have to necessarily be the traditional arts. It could be dance. It could be acting. It could be drama, you know, theater, things like that. So artistic or creative. I remember my uh, nephew would be, he was like first grade and he had a math homework assignment and it was word problems. You know, back then you have to draw the word problem, right? You have like seven fish and they eat three fish. And his picture of the word problem would be the most beautiful detailed thing. And he would spend hours drawing the picture to go with the word problem. And it was, you know, of course, driving his mom bonkers because she's like, can we just get the homework done? Do we need to spend hours belingering this homework? And he found a way to make it interesting for him, but it did take him a really long time. And even in school, it just took him kind of a long time because his brain would just naturally want to focus on the details of the shading of the teacher's nostrils rather than listening to the words that she's saying. And I remember him telling me, I said, like, how do you do it? How do you pay attention to what she's saying when your mind naturally wants to gravitate towards 
you know, the details. And he said, I give myself little mental breaks. Like I'll listen for five minutes and then I'll draw the shoe of the kid sitting next to me to give my brain a break. And then I'll go back to listening. So he kind of found a strategy at a young age to work it out. So that's the artist creator. Number seven is the storyteller. Now, imagination is the key to play for the storyteller. This is all about imagination. So it doesn't need to just be reading and writing. That is traditionally where we think of it. But it could also be movies, dance, acting, but just telling a story through different mediums, but really dwelling in the land of the imagination. So when you're trying to get your kid to do something, let's say, you know, it's time to get in the car and your kid loves to dwell in their imagination, it's so much easier to enter into their world than ask them to come into your world and say, come on, we got to go pick up your sister. It's time to go. But instead, move into their world and say, oh, look at this tiger. He's jealous of the, you know, bird. He wants to fly. Let's make him fly through the kitchen and let's go into the car and he's going to fly to the kid's school. And if you can do that and enter your child's play world, imaginary world, they'll do whatever you say. (laughs) It's magical. Give it a try. Number eight, the director. Now, this one's me too. Enjoys planning events for other people or enjoys executing scenes for other people to enjoy. So the director loves being in charge and in the center of the social world. So almost all teachers, I think, are directors, but it's hard for a director to be a student sometimes because they want to be in charge. And so that's where it comes into conflict. Like sitting and listening to somebody else's ideas all day is a lot trickier than being, this might be the kid who comes home after school and teaches school for the next three hours to the neighbor kids or their younger siblings or whatever. So they just need to be in charge. So the reason I enjoyed reading about play more than playing is that my top play personality is that of explorer. I love learning and discovering what makes people tick and and reading about nonfiction is one of the things I like to do. So Jen probably has competitor as one of her top three play personalities. She cannot understand why her son wouldn't be motivated to turn his homework in. He might be an explorer, just interested in the act of learning more than proving to anyone else what he has learned. To motivate him, she could tap into his personality, depending on what it is, his top three. If he's a collector, for every paper he turns in, she'll buy him something to add to his collection. You know, the new trading cards or the new whatever's the thing at the moment that the kids like to trade. If he's an actor or creator, he could design a creative poster or a method to remind himself to grab his homework before he leaves the house, like tack something up in the car or by the front door or something. If he's a storyteller, she could pretend that his homework is the important key he needs and he needs to bring it to school in order to open up the world to a new dimension, saving an entire species of alien beings. If he's a kinesthete, Mom could hide the homework somewhere in the house and play a game of you are getting warmer. You know that game like you're getting warmer, you're hot, you're boiling up, oh, you're ice cold. She could do that in the morning before school. And then it would be all about fun and not about the drudgery of remembering to turn in this homework. The director 
could put his little sister in charge of his homework. She, he could tell somebody else what to do and or devise some kind of system and say, okay, you're going to text me at this time and you're going to call me and you're going to set your alarm and you're going to remind me. So like if they're in charge of other people, kind of helps. The joker could attach a joke to his homework assignments for his teacher to read or like prank her by doing his assignment like upside down or backwards or something silly. I think part of the way we stay attached to ego is by thinking our kids should do things the way we would do them. As we let go of our expectations and learn to see our children as separate from us, it actually helps us grow closer to them. Because understanding your child's play personality, it's not only going to help you motivate them, but it's going to help you appreciate what a unique and wonderful person they really are. Today's super mom kryptonite is valuing work over play. I have always loved working. As a teenager, I loved babysitting, waiting tables, garage sales, you name it. I had lots of jobs. As a child, my favorite thing to make believe was playing store, bank, library, even house. But today, even today it shows up where I like I'd rather sell raffle tickets at the school auction than just mingle and socialize. But the reason I love working so much is because it feels like play to me. When we value work for the sake of work without honoring our need to play, It's like burning the candle at both ends. We use up twice as much energy trying to motivate ourselves. We can do it because our ego values hard work and productivity, but it's a struggle on our soul. It's like imagine a dog digging a hole, okay? He's digging a hole in the backyard. He's going to bury his bone. This dog is focused, intensely digging, not distracted by anything around him. It looks like he's working hard, and he is but he's enjoying it because he's doing work that he's meant to do that's aligned with his the essence of who he is, right? And it feels like play. It requires physical effort, but not psychological or emotional effort. I think this is what work is supposed to be like for us too. I am not a kinesthete. Ask me to do yard work or mop my floors, and I will move at a snail's pace, dragging my feet and complaining the whole time. Unless I've got people coming over for a party, or maybe my girl's summer camp is starting, and I am full of energy because the director in me loves to create events for others. Be careful not to value work over play, but you can use play to make work more fun and align with your highest self, like align with your like your personality and who you're meant to be. So if I've got people coming over, I can clean. If I'm listening to a podcast and I'm exploring and learning, then I can clean. It just is a way to make things, using your play personality can make things that you want to do, you want to have done, so much more enjoyable. Today's super mom power boost is to step out of your routine. So stepping out of our normal routine encourages our brains into a more playful state. Life coaching kind of encourages playful transformation because you take an hour a week to observe your life from the outside. You look at what's working and what isn't. Well, getting a change of scenery can also help to offer a new perspective. Getting swept away into a novel or spending time in nature, those are play states for the brain. 
Try attending a local cultural event for a holiday that is not one you're familiar with, that you've ever celebrated before, but maybe is a part of a different cultures. Go there and be in that switched mental state where you're just open to exploring and seeing things from a different perspective. Learn to play a new board game with your kids or maybe understand a sport that you aren't familiar with, but really get to know it. This is this play state that our brain really likes. So if we step out of our routine and open ourselves up to our sense of play and imagination, it can feel really good. Make us feel like kids again, you know? We kind of forget to do that when we're moms. It's so common for super moms to lose their sense of play when there's so much work to be done, as you know. So stepping out of our routine and creating some space for you is a quick way to invigorate the soul and feel playful again. And you deserve it, mama. Today's quote of the day, what might seem like a frivolous or even childish pursuit is ultimately beneficial. It's paradoxical that a little bit of non-productive activity can make one enormously more productive and invigorated in other aspects of life. Dr. Stuart Brown. Thank you so much for listening. I love you and leave you. You guys have a great and playful day. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.